My name is Phil Stinson, and I'm an Associate Professor of Criminal Justice at Bowling Green State University. In this episode of the Police Integrity Loss Podcast, we listen to a recording of an interview of me by Eugene Purier on the Radio Sputnik Show, By Any Means Necessary. By Any Means Necessary. Back to By Any Means Necessary on Radio Sputnik in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Eugene Pergier, and as always, we're your guide to connecting the political, social, and economic movement shaping the world around us. And today we are talking about the acquittal of Officer Betty Shelby on first-degree manslaughter charges for the killing of Terrence Crutcher last year. Police involved shooting. Uh, This all happened yesterday. We're very happy to be joined here by Dr. Phil Stinson, the Associate Professor of Criminal Justice in a Criminal Justice Program at Bowling Green State University. Dr. Stinson, thank you so much for joining the show again. Oh, it's good to be here. So uh, I, I don't know if people were surprised uh, with what happened with the, the Betty Shelby case, but I think one of the issues that is overhanging all of this is many people had felt because um, previously, I believe it was two years ago, it might have been a, a year or so ago now, roughly a year and a half, uh, there was the, I guess, I don't know, deputy police officer or whatever the, the gentleman's official title was, uh, who killed somebody, older gentleman, and then he was charged with manslaughter and sent, sentenced to a four-year prison sentence. So similar sentence uh, as Officer Betty Shelby, similar charges as Officer Betty Shelby, um, but she was not convicted. So, I, I mean, is this just different circumstances or, or, or what's happening here? Well, you're referring to Robert Bates, and he was a reserve deputy with the Tulsa County Sheriff's Office, and I think there are a lot of differences here. He was a financial supporter of the sheriff, and it was basically a pay-to-play situation, according to a lot of the people who worked for the sheriff's office. He was out when they were doing a drug raid. He was tagging along with the officers on some sort of a drug call. I don't remember exactly what it was, but he ends up shooting a man who's being handcuffed by other officers, and there's a bit of a scuffle in the street, but the other officers have it under control, and and he shoots him thinking that he was, he says immediately, oh, I thought I was using my taser. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to shoot him. And it was a, a tragic thing. The man died from his injuries and Bates is now, I think he's serving three and a half years, three years in prison. I know his family's working hard to try to get him out of prison. He's an old man, but uh, he was convicted of manslaughter and he's in prison. So with Betty Jo Shelby, we have an on-duty Tulsa officer who's on her way to another call and comes across a scene where a man is acting erratically and has stopped his car in the street. And it goes, uh, it goes south from there, frankly. And she ends up, as you mentioned, shooting and killing him. And I'm, it's interesting to me because I'm, I'm, I'm always sort of curious about the standards that are used for this thing. And, and certainly her argument was, you know, that it was a, a not really a split second, but uh, it was a complicated situation more or less. He had uh, not listened to her. some of the things. She thought he was on PCP. But the fact that the next officer right next to her and even some of the police officers who were witnesses stated that they didn't feel Crutcher had done anything that would suggest the lives of the officers were in danger. And I guess it's up to the jury, but it just sort of seems like there was some Something kind of incongruous, perhaps, in what was presented by the prosecution um, and, and her getting off. Well, that's what it takes in these cases for an officer to be charged. It has to be pretty much what we see in these cases is it's limited to when another officer comes forward and testifies or tells investigators that they saw the whole thing. 
and they did not believe that there was an imminent threat of serious bodily injury or deadly force. Remember, it's a reasonable police officer standard. So if Officer Shelby subjectively thought her life was in danger, but she was not reasonable, that's not good enough. That would not be a justified shooting. And that's the question that the jury had to look at. So I don't know in this case, I haven't looked to see if other officers testified at the trial. What we've seen in these cases, though, is in the cases where the officers go to a jury trial and they're either acquitted or it ends with a mistrial with a hung jury who can't reach a a decision, those cases have involved officers who, as defendants, have taken the witness stand and testified in their own defense. And what they testify to is something along the lines of, I was in fear of my life and I only shot him because I was in fear of my life. I'm sorry I had to do it, but I thought he was going to kill me. And even though that may not be reasonable, it's up to the prosecutor to then turn that back around and somehow get the jury focused on the fact that it's a reasonable officer standard. Because what we see in these cases, if an officer testifies on the stand that they were in fear of their life and that's why they shot the person, jurors, many jurors, are going to say, that's it. We're not going to second guess the split second life or death decisions of an on-duty police officer in a potentially violent encounter. We're not going to put ourselves in their shoes. We're going to take their word and we're just not going to convict. So that either ends up in a hung jury where you have a few jurors that way, or you end up with an acquittal. And I think that's what happened here. And we saw this was coming. In fact, yesterday I predicted this to my research assistants, which I never do, by the way, because you really can't predict what a jury is going to do. But I can tell you from looking at these cases now for over a decade, we knew exactly what was going to happen if she testified. And we knew this was coming because she went on 60 Minutes and uh, have a long interview, but she she let us all know what she was going to testify to, that she felt her life was in danger. And I think that's what we end up with here. So it, it would take uh, overcoming that because the burden of proof is on the prosecutor to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. But you do have somewhat of a shifting burden here in terms of an affirmative defense where an officer uh, and their attorney are putting forth the defense that they the officer was legally justified. So in other words, they would have had to have a reasonable apprehension of an eminent threat. And again, it's an objective standard of reasonableness, that of a uh, reasonable police officer. So it confuses juries. Uh, it's difficult to explain that legal requirement in terms of uh, what it takes for an officer to be justified in using deadly force. But, but that's where we are. And uh, it's always risky to put a client on the stand if you're a defense attorney. And it's always risky to testify if you're a defense But we've seen it several times. Michael Slager's first murder trial. We saw it in Ray Tensing's trial, his first trial in uh, Cincinnati. He's going to uh, trial again fairly soon. Slager just entered a guilty plea in federal court to criminal deprivation of civil rights charges. And apparently they're not going to pursue the the murder case against him. Uh, And a few other cases recently where we've seen exactly the same thing. Uh, So that seems to be where we're at. Yeah, no, I, I certainly agree. And we saw it in that first Freddie uh, Gray trial as well with the, the hung jury. Now, the other uh, defendants there decided to go with the, the bench trial. But, you know, rightly or wrongly in these situations, there's always a lot of second guessing of the prosecutors. A lot of people say, well, they could have done this. They could have done that. So Larry Krasner, who is at least the presumptive new district attorney in Philadelphia, won the Democratic primary there. So let's just assume he'll win. One of the things he has proposed in police-involved uh, shootings is to establish like a special prosecutor that doesn't really work on uh, anything other than crimes committed by police officers so that they're not in the same position as a prosecutor that may need to rely on uh, police officers for all their other cases and investigations and the like. Um, Is that sort of idea, having sort of a dedicated prosecutor in these offices, something that you think uh, is, is, is positive? 
Absolutely. And Larry's been a criminal defense lawyer for many years in Philadelphia. By the way, I practiced law in Philadelphia for about 10 years, and uh, including criminal defense work. And he's absolutely correct. Here's the thing. Prosecutors rely on police officers in their day-to-day work in order to be able to prosecute cases, even just move cases along to plea bargains. You've got to have police officers cooperating. And if there's a sense that police officers are not going to cooperate because they're mad at the prosecutors for pursuing a case against an officer, it brings the whole system to a halt in terms of what law enforcement and prosecutors can do. It's a tough situation. So I think the idea of having a prosecutor who is taken out of that loop, who doesn't have a normal caseload, who doesn't have to necessarily answer to law enforcement in the same way, the district attorney's office can can sort of put up a Chinese wall and claim they're independent. Now, obviously, no prosecutor is independent of law enforcement. You're going to have to have the cooperation of law enforcement to get a prosecution in this case. So I don't think it solves everything, but it's a step in the right direction. It's worth trying. And I wonder, too, I mean, do we need, because I think one thing that and you reference this, that Larry Krasner, that a lot of people reference, was that he was a defense attorney with no experience in the prosecutor's office, although quite a bit of experience in, in the law. Uh, and some of his opponents were like, oh, well, you got to be a prosecutor, blah, 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 blah. I mean, and it does seem like perhaps that's sort of an interesting phenomenon. I mean, do you think it'll make a difference in the culture of district attorney's offices around the country to have people who have maybe not just been in there for their whole career and kind of worked their way up, but people coming from different parts? the legal profession uh, as well. Well, I think it's important to have some diversity. Obviously, you got to know how to run a prosecutor's office. And and frankly, running a large prosecutor's office in an urban county, so Philadelphia County in Pennsylvania, where we're talking about Larry, who's running for district attorney, it's basically a job of an administrator in many regards. Mm. So it's a manager, it's an administrator. They're not in the courtroom, you know, on any regular basis at all. So I suppose that, you know, a lot of different backgrounds would be appropriate for that. But you're right. We see people who become elected prosecutors typically work their way up through the ranks. But I would say that's changing somewhat, and we're seeing it change in some of the larger urban counties across the country. So Orange County, for example, in Florida, and a few other places where we've seen something that's a little bit different. And I think people are, on many levels, willing to give people a try who don't have experience in that you know specific area. So Larry, obviously, is very well-experienced criminal defense lawyer, and I think he has the skill set to, to do the job. And, and as you pointed out, he probably will be elected since he's running as a Democrat, and it's a large city with a large pool of people who typically vote Democrat. Yeah, no, I, I think it seems like it will sort of almost be assured, but I know that his uh, opponent now is running as independent, who was formerly, I think, in the prosecutor's office. I don't know. She's running as an outsider, too. So who knows? Well, nevertheless, we shall see. That concludes this episode of the Police Integrity Loss Podcast. It was recorded on May 18th, 2017, and originally aired on Radio Sputnik. Support for the Police Integrity Loss Podcast was provided by the Wallace Action Fund of Tides Foundation on the recommendation of Mr. Randall Wallace. My name is Phil Stinson, and I'm an Associate Professor of Criminal Justice at Bowling Green State University in Bowling Green, Ohio. For more information on my research, please go to www.bgsu.edu slash policeintegritylost.